VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking about Harry Kane. Why the Bayern fans love him, but he might still be struggling to win some trophies. We'll also be discussing the rest of the Champions League action, multi-club ownership and why Dan Ashworth might be one of the biggest transfer sagas of the year. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got the Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Sam. (laughs) (laughs) That's Martin's new catchphrase, listeners, there. No more nonsense. Shut the F up and leave me alone. No, we we start again. I just want to do that. No, no, it's staying in now. It's staying in. There he is, Chief Correspondent Martin Uh, Samuel, the football correspondent for the Sunday Times, who's much more cheerful and happy to share his views, Jonathan Northcroft, and a former footballer who admitted to me yesterday that his career allowed him to become something of a master chef, honing his cooking skills every day after training in order to impress his partner Susie. And he's never so much as made me a cup of tea. Gregor Robertson is here as well. What a thrilling thanks opening, up. lads. We've had some swearing. <laughs> Gregor's personal well. life mentioned. <laughs> no, thanks for that. Susie's first mention for the pod as well, I think. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. She'll oh. be delighted if she listened. Oh. <laughs> what's, what's your signature dish then? What's Susie what's my signature being dish? entertained with? Uh, well, we were talking about because it, it was Valentine's. You know, he was asking mm. what they had. They had a nice, uh, nice bit of halibut with oh. like a creamy mussel sauce. That's really, really good. good. Creamy mussel sauce. That's going back into the archives, though. Yeah. As, as I later said to Tom, then I got a real job. <laughs> I don't have any time to cook anymore. Yeah. So Susie feels like she's been sold a, a false premise now. I will be now. Anyway. Anyway, well, there you go. I didn't, <laughs> you didn't see that coming when I started talking about Harry Kane. But anyway, back to Harry Kane. Yes. I wonder whether he cooks uh, cooks a mean halibut with mussels. I doubt it. I think he's got a chef. Um, it probably does, yes. Well, Johnny, you can tell me a bit more about his time in Bayern very soon. But I wanted to talk about on the pitch, Bayern Munich defeated by Lazio in the first leg of their Champions League tie. We mentioned this on Monday, didn't we, Gregor, about Harry Kane. And I slightly mischievously laughed and Alison Rudd told me off for the idea that he might not win any trophies. I wanted to start with that idea, this idea that's kind of coming into football now of why we all find seem to find it a little bit funny that Harry Kane has moved to Bayern Munich to win some trophies and might not win any trophies. Maybe maybe I'm the only one, but Martin Samuel, you're at least smirking at me from across the desk. No, I, no, I don't find it funny at all. I, I think I think that um, with Harry, one of the one of the bizarre things with with him is this sort of Schadenfreude, which a word you'll probably understand a lot more now that he's in Germany, um, and. The thing is, if he'd have stayed at Tottenham, he'd be on course to win zero trophies anyway. Yeah. You know, they're not going to, you yeah. know, they're out of the FA Cup, they're out of the League Cup, they're not going to win the league. Um, so, 
you know, it's not as if he could have stayed where he would. What people don't actually factor in, because you get a lot of people saying, oh, they're better without him, which is such (laughs) nonsense. If they'd have kept Harry Kane somehow and made the other changes that they have have made in this summer, including the the coach, um, Tottenham would be uh, title contenders now. They wouldn't be looking over their shoulder at Manchester United and Aston mm. Villa. They would be they would be absolutely in the mix with Manchester City and Arsenal and uh, Liverpool because Harry Kane would have scored ten to fifteen goals by now. Uh, you know, ten in a bad season, fifteen probably in a good one, and ten to fifteen goals onto uh, onto Tottenham's total, or even eight goals if you presume that you know seven of them would have been scored by whoever replaces him you know, would make a big difference to Tottenham. So I don't see this, oh, you know, he should have stayed where he was or he's made a fool, you know, going to Bar Munich, they're going to win nothing. Because he wouldn't be winning anything at Tottenham in their current state. He he might have he might have made Tottenham title contenders had, it, had he remained. And also, by the way, Bar Munich five points off the top and one nil down against Lazio from the first leg. Does not mean yeah, Bar Munich win yeah. nothing this season. No. Remember what happened with Dortmund last season too. Mm. You know, you I know. think they drew in the final day. Yeah, and and if he doesn't win anything this season, Bayer Leverkusen next season will almost certainly have a different manager. It wasn't so long ago they were selling their best player to Aston Villa. I don't see uh, Bayer Leverkusen, you know, dominating German football the way that Munich uh, have come to dominate German football. So. In terms of winning something, I'm in under absolute have absolutely no doubt that Harry Kane will leave Bayern Munich eventually, having won something. Yeah, it just depends what it is. is it, if it doesn't, then we can start talking about. Then we can. Then we can have a little chuckle. Do you think it's as much about Bayern, Johnny, as it is about Harry Kane? Because that was part of it, isn't it? That he was leaving a club for whom they'd had lots of ups and downs, and you know, there's no guarantee what a Tottenham season would look like. And he was going to Bayern Munich, and that was a sure thing. One of the best players in the world was joining one of the biggest club and most dominant clubs in the world, and that's why maybe, and as Martin says, it's only the first leg, and they're only five points behind. But that's why, in amongst football fans, there's a little, yeah, a little glee. In this country, I think we probably have a different relationship with success than in other cultures, and lots of people have talked and written about this. But you know, Americans celebrate achievement and success and dominance and, and excellence and and we seem to have a uh, some sort of instinctive problem with it you know the the kind of uber champions aren't as popular in our culture as they would be in American culture let's say so maybe the idea of a team that wins every year is always going to attract jealousy um, like Martin I don't I don't find it funny um, I think it comes from a sort of British um, kind of way of 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 yeah, laughing at, laughing at people t- who try to do something different. You know, where we, maybe that's part of our culture as well. Harry's actually done something quite bold, and there's an element in in our uh, society that wants to sort of laugh at people who seem to get above them state their station, maybe. Um, and well, we're just tribal here, aren't we? So, you know, Harry Kane's Tottenham, and there's plenty of fans of other clubs who are who are laughing at him. But I I, I find what he's done extremely. Admirable, um, I, th- I, you know, we'll, we'll go into talk about it. Having spent some time there recently with him as well, there's a depth and sincerity to what he's trying to do, and and 
he will, as Martin said, he will win something. Um, it's mad that it might not be this season, but without him, goodness knows what. I mean, goodness knows what Bayern would be. He's the thing is, you could laugh at him if he went there and he was a flop. Mm. Instead, this guy's gone there and is on course to break all sorts of records. Is carrying a team. Uh, is a focus. Is, is sort of almost carrying the fans' optimism through a bad season. Um, he couldn't be doing any more. Mm. Mm. So it's not on him at all and that's why the for for me any negative reaction to this is is silly and unfair because he's he's done his bit yeah well let's get on to the positives you touched on it there you're talking about um a piece of yours from a couple of weeks ago which was headlined meeting harry is the best day of my life how kane mania <laughs> took hold as you visited a remote bayern munich fan club where the english striker was stuck got stuck into bar games and takes the bavarian's adulation in his stride Tell us more. Oh, it, it was it was lovely, and I've been talking about culture clashes. This was something that was very German, and I don't sadly wouldn't wouldn't happen here. But uh, there's a Bayern Munich tradition that once a year, every member of the first team squad, um, head coach included, are dispatched to go and visit little fan clubs around Bavaria. A couple of them are in Munich, but they tend to be off in, in sort of rural places, and uh, and the clubs kind of bid to get. a star to visit them and, and this particular little club which was a a village of about 2,000 people near the Austrian border farming country, I think there was a local brewery or whatever, that kind of that kind of vibe an hour away from Munich had Harry, they won the lottery and they, they had Harry Kane turn up and it was, it, was, it was kind of magic really watching these locals respond to it all, you know it was a Sunday morning, church bells are ringing um uh, it's about half past ten, and uh, and and yeah, locals started on the on the pills quite early. Everyone was everyone was sort of tanked up, ready for Harry, and he arrived to you know a brass band sort of started playing immediately, and Harry had that moment of kind of stepping out of a car and thinking, "Why am I at home with my kids? Oh my goodness, <laughs> what's going to happen here?" Then he was taken to perform a, a soup salting ceremony, which is a kind of Bavarian marriage tradition where the bride and the groom salt basically put some salt in a bat of soup and stir it and it's to symbolize the spice in this marriage so that was a kind of, it was fully these kind of Bayern, the Bavarian jokes so he had to do that he then came in this this kind of like little hall with rock music playing a kind of ACDC style Harry Kane scores lots of goals song um, and then it was just kind of surreal he had to do there was Sort of beer mug pushing, which is a Bavarian pub game, which he proved quite good at. It's kind of like curling, but with a beer mug. There's a scoring zone, <laughs> and if you put it too far, you're out of the zone. With beer in it or empty? Empty, empty. Right. Although apparently, really, you should play it with beer in it, right. and it's great fun. And, and then he had to do this um, another pub game, which was to, to, to my untutored non-Bavarian eyes, it looked like he was just hammering a nail into a bit of wood. Um, I'm told that it's a bit more complicated than that and you're supposed to do it and have drinks while you're doing it. I'm sure someone had just duped him into doing a bit of DIY on a Sunday. <laughs> well, <laughs> Harry, come in here. No, yeah, but it, go, it, yeah. It was, yeah, you've got to build a shed now. Yeah, <laughs> it, was a, he, he, it was a proper tree trunk though. I mean, really? it was a massive tree trunk and he, he won the, he won the, the, the nail hammering uh, and then he, did, he kind of did a and a which was good fun. At one point he was asked what his favourite animal was and he kind of very earnestly said, oh, it's a lion, you know. <laughs> and then there was a kind of gasp of horror in the audience because it turned out that the lions, the symbol of 1860 Munich, uh, 
you know, Byron's old rival. Oh. Sort of thing. So then he had to go, well, actually, it's a dog. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And then the kind of climax of it all was they pronounced him the winner of the Bavarian Pub Olympics. And then the joke was, this means that Harry Kane has broken his uh, trophy dock here in Kirk Vidar. So even they're laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. Even <laughs> they're laughing at it. I know. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, the, I could, the Bayern Munich press officer was looking uncomfortable on several occasions, including when Harry was asked to sing. And this was one of them. You could see him thinking, mm, don't like this. But Harry, Harry was such a good sport. So he, he got presented with this trophy. And the trophy was, I kid you not, it was like this little guy with a big sort of, you know, Tony Polster style moustache or Magnum style moustache that came on, little little German guy. And he'd, he'd made a trophy in his garage. It turned out this was the former president of the club. And the trophy was in the shape of a cannon. So immediately you think, is this some Arsenal joke sort of taking mm-hmm. place now? Are they sending him up again? But no, the, the cannon is like... Um, it's what's presented to the the winner of the the German Golden Boot every right. every year, mm. and but this this homemade cannon was also doubled up, and I can't say the word sadly, but it, it it's called like a snuff cannon, so it's for shooting tobacco up your nose, which is what people <laughs> do in those parts, and it'd been built out of mouse traps, of course it had, what? so this yeah this fella sort of got a lot of old mouse traps. Built a cannon and thought I'm going to give this to Harry Kane and and blow it took uh, place and no one went man no, no I'm not sure he'll like it he's won the cannon he's he's broken his trophy dock the thing that really came through was what a good sport Harry Kane I was going to say yeah. so what and, you were and how much about- drugs uh, <laughs> are being consumed how good obviously the- in the in the in the, 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 the outskirts of well, uh, of Bavaria just basically. how good the pilsner is yeah though. yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he was amazing, and and that that really sort of that really shone through was just what I, I don't know if humble's quite the right word. It's an overused word, I feel, but he could have acted the star. Yeah. He really could, and he just went along with everything. Even when they got him to sing, which was slightly excruciating because they'd rewritten Jingle Bells to a song involving Harry Kane the score against Dortmund. It was pretty excruciating but he did everything he did everything he stayed for 45 minutes afterwards he signed all the autographs he did the selfies afterwards I was sort of speaking to a bloke in the toilet and he was kind of slurring about how I won't mention the the superstar but how Harry had been completely different to the last superstar they'd had 15 years hence who was a very famous Bayern player who apparently turned up and thought it was all beneath him um, and spoke to Harry afterwards and, and again you know, I think maybe going circling back to where we started, you got a sense of how seriously he's taken this this move. Uh, he's moved his family out. Um, they were he's got four young kids, and they were skiing that morning. And he was saying how great it is now that they're there, and 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 everyone's getting to enjoy the adventure. Um, you know, my son already speaks better German than me. Blah blah blah, and um, and just. He's he's really trying, you know. He, he's he's he's. This is a proper effort. This this move, he's gonna give it everything, like he like he does, like he gave the 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 visit to the the fan club, everything. And and I've you know seen Harry plenty around England and spoken to him many times. But I got an even sort of keener sense of just probably why he's England captain, what a good fella he is, why he's the type of person that. You know, you would lead, you would follow him. There's there's nothing, no side to him. Um, yeah, just a just a decent fella. I'm not. 
yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what he really made of it, but he, yeah. he just... <laughs> so he wasn't flinching. You know, you were saying about Not the Bayern press officer was kind of giving it the, oh, God, this yeah. is incredible. But he didn't at any point go... He tried, I mean, they tried to get him to sing several times, and um, he, he, he politely refused until they, they really pushed him into it. So, so that was the only time he kind of didn't automatically play along. But I mean, when he was hammering the nail in the wood, he was celebrating. Did, and didn't say, shut the f*** up and leave me alone. You know, <laughs> no, as the no. catchphrase of someone, yeah, someone yeah. in this room. Yeah, no, 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 um, no. He was great. But, the, but Bayern Munich, one of the things you do notice with Bayern Munich, um, and it's always shone through, is that when you go there, you've got to embrace the culture of the club. It, yeah. it, it's, you know, you see these photographs of, Pep Guardiola in lederhosen and 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 stuff like that, drinking pints of beer, and you know it doesn't fit naturally with your image of yeah. uh, of, of Pep Guardiola. I mean, he's you've never seen him dressed like that in Manchester, mm. for instance. <laughs> and but you you've got to do it. It, it. It's very very important. It's a club with a strong strong Bavarian culture, and you're expected to you're expected to embrace that. And German football does that as well. Yeah. If I don't know if they've still got this tradition, but it used to be that Germany's last friendly before um, yeah. they play in a major tournament is against a, a, a local team, literally yeah. a, a non-league local team. And, you know, they invariably win 14-0 or, or, or whatever. But I was there uh, before the 2000 European Championships when the German team weren't very popular and weren't playing well. Mm. And they were getting booed and the pitch had stones on it and Oliver Bierhoff's playing and, and getting st- oh his coach was he coach I think he might have been assistant team manager, manager. That, so, yeah. kind of was it, yeah yeah and, role, and yeah. he's getting <laughs> shouted at by the crowd and you're thinking why don't they just play Jamaica and beat them six 0 <laughs> like we like like you know like England usually do you know they play an opponent and they can win and and then everyone goes off waving instead they're in a fi- literally it was a filled up a country lane and and the crowd were you know two feet away from the from the touchline but that is the German tradition before they go off to a tournament they play a game like this. It's uh, it's it's a it's a very interesting culture. I'll come on to the ideas of tradition and football, but coming back to Harry Kane, is there part of the first conversation that we had around trophies and things tied to the idea that he's thirty? This move was seen as a little bit of a you know even before he left, people were talking about there'll be a buyback clause, he'll come back to Tottenham and he'll break Alan Shearer's record and things. When you were there, Johnny, did you get a sense that you know, as you say, his kids are out there that he's actually settling into this? Yeah, and could be there for the rest of his career, maybe. I'm not sure about the rest of his career because I think his model is Lewandowski, who is still, you know, went to Barcelona at 35. So Harry will think he's capable of doing this for two or three years and then going somewhere else. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's the kind of the kind of plan. But yeah, I think he's investing everything he can in it, um, and which is what he always does, isn't it? I th- I, 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 I think how his family enjoy it will, of course, be key. And they had only just moved out. And if if a little bit down the line um, they are unhappy, then that um, he's a very family-orientated guy and, and that may make his decision. You then also sort of say to yourself, though, he's 30, he's, this has been a big move. Where does he go at, at, at 32, 33? That's another consideration. But... I think he's open-minded to it. And what, in, in going back to winning, what he did say to me was, um, what is different to Spurs, and he was diplomatic in how he said this, but he's enjoying being at a club 
where they're expected to win, you know, like they have to win. And he wanted a bit of that. And, you know, Antonio Conte did an interview, in a, a very good interview in a rival paper yesterday. Um, but Conte talked about being at Spurs and being asked to celebrate finishing fourth, and he just couldn't understand it. And I think Harry is enjoying being uh, under that kind of pressure. And you know that that nothing less than winning will do, and, and that's that's what he's been craving. It would be mightily unlucky if he joined, though. Like they've won eleven, I think eleven yeah. titles in a row, yeah. five German yeah. cups in that time, yeah. two Champions Leagues in that time. So if you know if they one season <laughs> they didn't win anything, and it was Harry Kane's first, and it, unlucky is the word because we have to remind ourselves that he scored twenty-two goals in his first sixteen matches, mm. and now that he scored six in the last twelve, that's mm. deemed a crisis. One every two, it's mm. like. Yeah, this is not Harry Kane's fault. Thomas Tuchel is the man who's really under pressure now. Well, yes, Thomas Tuchel could be out of a job before the end of the season. Who knows when Bayern Munich might still win some trophies. Gregor, any good club traditions when you were a player? Ever had anyone make you something out of a mouse trap? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not, no. no. Any traditions? Ever been made to well, sing by any of your fans? No, but... You, uh, sing by... No, not by fans, no. We, we used to always, at Forest, used to always go and play uh, Burton Albion. When they were, I remember when they were a little like yeah. non-league mm-hmm. club, and met Brian Clough. Nigel Clough was the. He used to always go along and, and present. It was like I think it was called the Bass Charity Vaz, and it, there was like a few local teams, and he always presented the trophy afterwards. Brian Clough on the pitch, and then Burton Albion climbed through the leagues, and they were playing Forest and on level terms yeah, in yeah. League One a few years later. But, but those little things are. Quite, mm-hmm. And also, was when Martin was saying that I was reminded of going when Ronaldo first moved to. To Juventus, there was a similar thing in that they, every summer, they pre-season, they play, I think it's called Villa Perosa. It's mm. like the mm. Agnelli family village. And it's the same thing. It's a village. They go into the mountains mm. and this, you know, this team of superstars and mm. like thousands and thousands of people descend on this tiny little village every single summer just because that's a tradition. The fact that, you know, play Juventus to go to the family village. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, every club has its little traditions like that. Yeah, I mean, West Ham, I mean, the famous one with West Ham is how we ended up getting the fellow on from the, uh, from the crowd. They were playing, I think it was Oxford City, which was one of Harry's uh, old clubs, not Oxford United, the other one, Oxford City. And it's a pre, it was a pre-season friendly, and I think it was Lee Chapman that the guy objected <laughs> to. Um and uh, what someone in the crowd was someone he- in the crowd someone heck- standing right behind Harry and every time I get that Chapman off Harry he's useless he's, yeah he can't trap a ball Harry he's useless I'm better than him blimey Harry and all of this <laughs> and now he went up turned around and went right you think you can do any better you're on <laughs> so the fella's gone what oh, I've just had a pie and a, a, a pie he went I don't care what size what size boots are you so he said, right, we'll find a pair. You're on. He's off. You're on. Right. has come on and scored. Did <laughs> <laughs> he? Yeah. Scored. Yeah. Pre-season oh, friendly. Great big geese. <laughs> you know, classic West Ham. Yeah, big, really bit, bit on a big side. You know, <laughs> cropped hair. You know, it's come on and scored. Fantastic against Oxford City in a friendly. Absolutely brilliant. I'd never heard that story. <laughs> oh, anyway. Well, we better get back to the Champions League. I feel like we're veering all over the place on today's show, but I'm enjoying it immensely. Manchester City, 3-1 winners against Copenhagen in their first leg. It's looking pretty good for them, isn't it, Gregor? It sure is, yeah. Just 
Our players coming back to fitness, John Stones was kind of playing in that hybrid role and excelling. Um, Foden still in sublime form. That touch for when he kind of controlled mm. Rodri's switch with the outside of his foot. I think the only player who could do it like that was was, Ma- was Maris. Maris yeah. did mm. the same. Mm. It's just that effortless way of controlling it and sort of caressing it inside to 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 set up the the first goal. Um, I thought the third goal was a beautiful move as well. With kind nice. of Again, because Stones moves inside, Nunes mm. drifted out to the right, and the way that he combined with De Bruyne and and Foden was magnificent. So, yeah, I mean, look, there were Ederson's uh, mishap aside, it was a fairly comfortable one, I think, and and uh, City's best team is taking shape again. You mm. mentioned John Stones; he was the subject of a, a a piece by Paul Hurst that was on the Times website talking about that kind of his importance to Guardiola, how Guardiola has always been fond of him. Is is he underrated, John Stones? Yeah, he, he's taken for granted, I think. If that and underrated are the same thing, then yes, there's maybe a nuance. It doesn't have to be. It could be taken well, for granted. I just, I, okay. He's a player that yeah. slightly fascinates me. I think in in the conversation of English centre-backs quite a lot of the time, because yeah. we often say, well, we've not got any good centre-backs, and I'm like, John Stones yeah. is one of the best in Europe, isn't he? Yeah, so I, th- I think I think the taken for granted is, is in the sense that I think everyone accepts he's really good, but they kind of then, maybe he's a low-profile guy, but they then just sort of, Overlook, overlook him, and and sort of forget about him. Um, I think, as I say, I think everyone's aware of what a skillful player he is. But what was interesting seeing him um, do that was I, I was at the Everton City game at the weekend, and I wonder if it's the end of the years of of a Kanji stepping into midfield to do that because it, it it's felt like a few teams have started to target him, and Everton certainly did. Every time a Kanji tried to received the ball in midfield he was the target for the the press and he didn't handle it very well so it's much more convincing when Aki or particularly John Stones mm. does it and my goodness it gives him yet another dimension um we mentioned Kevin De Bruyne but he was he was uh, yeah just just like he has been just just slick fast you know allied to his incredible football brain looked really sharp um, they are they are getting back to the best. His finish was like a cross. Yeah, you almost thought mm. it was a cross until it nestled yeah. in the corner. Because mm. yeah. the way he strikes the ball is just yeah. so like pure. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, I wanted to ask you about Jack Grealish and Phil Foden and Pep Guardiola's management of them. So the comments before this game um, in recent weeks about Jack Grealish not being quite as good as he was last season mm. then starts him. You know, is this a side of Pep Guardiola's management that maybe we don't often focus on? You know, because he's the master tactician. And things is man management of players. We don't sometimes focus on. No, he does say he, he he can be critical of his own players, particularly if he thinks they need a certain something, need a little poke with a stick. Mm. Almost, uh, you said it about Haaland this week. There was a little, uh, just a little admonishment of yeah. uh, of Haaland this week. Um, Stop! It was about his reactions to missing chances. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and um, and so look. Also. It's an element of truth, isn't there? I mean, undeniably, Grealish is not the same player this season as he was last season. He's not having the same impact. Um, but it was even worse. It was actually worse than just saying he's not been the same player. He's saying, he said afterwards his attitude was mm. much better in training this week, which obviously suggests mm. his attitude that, that wasn't right before that. So before, yeah. That's almost worse than saying you're out of form. Yeah, it's like maybe you're not responded. doing something that you can do. Yeah, maybe he hasn't responded well to having uh, Doku arrive yeah. and, and, and that, that sort of pressure on him and that rivalry. Maybe um, Guardiola expected a little bit 
more in that respect. Johnny. You know, John Stones, by the way, John mm, Stones. Yeah. Guardiola has always stood up for John Stones, even when he was making mistakes mm. or whatever. There was that press conference when he said, he either says he's the bravest man at the club or he says he's braver than any man in this room or something. Yeah, I think he has more reference to his genitals, actually. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got bigger balls, he said. Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. He said he's got bigger balls than anybody in this room. There you go. Yeah, it's true. Johnny, just finishing on Pep Guardiola then, I wanted to ask you that same question kind of about his management style. Do you think he's the, the last of the era of coaches who could get who can kind of get away with that in modern football? You know, yeah. thinking about comments, let's say, across the city, Eric Ten Hag and his management of some players in some certain situations. Because he's Pep Guardiola, he can you know, he's, yeah. he can have a pop at his players in the press and I, not just yeah. get away with it, but be praised for it. I think I think we get it wrong sometimes when we think about managers who have a pop at players in the sense that it's not it's not whether they have a pop at them or not, it's the position from which they do it. And Fergie could do it because he was Alex Ferguson and he won everything and there was nobody more driven. Um, so his standards were higher than everyone else. And Pep Guardiola can do it for precisely the same reasons. I think managers get into trouble when they, let's say, failing Mourinho when he gets into that, you know, grenade mode at a club when he starts calling everyone out but actually the team's sinking mm. Conte he did he was doing it at Spurs but he wasn't doing the he wasn't performing anymore in his job so I think that's the key none of those players can look at Pep Guardiola and say you don't know what you're talking about and none of them can say well you don't work hard enough you know so he's he's earned, he's earned that right and I do think he does it very skillfully in a slightly different way to a, a Conte or a Fergie he's quite subtle in his in his messaging and he uses, any coach will tell you, the biggest power is the power of selection. And he uses that power, wields it very uh, ruthlessly at times, but very well to tell to show players what they need to do to get back in the team. Carl Walker was a year ago experiencing that, and he had to up his game to get back in. Ever get slagged off in the press by a manager? <sighs> Not directly. You know, as a team, if, if you did even, even if he did as a team, it then really went down well. But mm. this, Johnny's absolutely right. It's, it's Pep Guardiola. Mm. Plus, he, I, I think every, everything, everything suggests, and all the noises we've heard from various players suggests that he doesn't actually like confrontation. Yeah, he doesn't really even like it if you knock on the door and say, "Why am I not playing?" I think Raheem Sterling found that out as well. So you know, his as Johnny says, he picks the team and like, he's the boss. So you know. There are there are managers who would tell you to your face and would kind of, you know, wouldn't mind having a bit of a row if you went in and <laughs> went in for a row as well. They wouldn't mind that, but I don't think he's someone like that. I think he's just it's my way or the highway, and you've got his look. But he's Pep Guardiola. Who so. in your crew fancied a while, Gregor? You, the managers you work with. I mean, like you couldn't really get any more different than Pep Guardiola than Joe Kinnear. <laughs> oh Joe, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. His, his whole management style was based on having a row. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it was like coming at half time, get get the players having a row to try and rail them up for the second half. Pick out, pick on someone who made a mistake, start a row. Go and make himself a cup. <laughs> go and make himself a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah he even had a row with the fans. He was kind of memorably <laughs> labelled Forest fans morons. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he got the sack quite soon after that so yeah Joe Kinnear oh, was probably was, number one for yeah, the rows he was good well, a, a fabulous I liked player. him too though yeah. I, had a great, <laughs> I had a great way with Joe Kinnear once brilliant <laughs> go on then but I started in the car park it was uh, Wimbledon versus um, I can't remember who but he'd had a pop at Tottenham 
And I'd spoken to Terry Venables was manager of Tottenham. I'd spoken to Terry. Terry had a pop back. Joe had taken massive exception to this. To, uh, Terry having a pop at him. So uh, we they were playing at, at Sellers Park at that time, and used to sort of after the game going to the car park. There was a bar downstairs. There was a players bar that the press could get into, and you could sort of ask, to, you know, can, "Can we have?" five minutes or whatever so you sort of hung around after the game in this sort of area and Joe was late doing his press conference and I was sort of down in the car park I was much younger then and Joe's come out and he's seen me and this row started about this about this piece and so now we were walking along and we walked it was about three floors up to the press room at um, at, at Sellers Park and the row began in the car park, went up three flights of stairs, hmm. and we both burst into the room, like we'd come bursting through these uh, uh, double doors at the same time, shouting at each other, and like, <laughs> pointing <laughs> fingers and stuff like that. And the last thing he said was, you can go off, he said, I'm not asking any, I'm not answering any of your questions. So then the press conference began, and I thought, right, well, I'll give it right, first question, second question, third question, right, Joe, and just ask a normal question, a football question or whatever. Joe answered it as good as gold, <laughs> and we've we've never had a crossword after that. And and uh, <laughs> up at Newcastle, when he was manager of Newcastle, and he and he called everyone every name under the sun. I can remember writing a piece that said, and, until you've been called the c-word by by. Joe here, really you haven't you, know, you haven't done your job you know you know until Joe's turned around and called you that word you know you haven't done your job properly you I know? thought you were going to tell me that argument ended with you saying shut the f- up and leave me alone. <laughs> no no exactly no but if I had it done he wouldn't have taken it personally it's the longest argument that one and the Fergie argument that, that went on a long long time because we were walking somewhere well yeah. maybe we'll be having some arguments that go on a long long time in the second half of the show uh, if you've got any views on the game podcast or got some suggestions for topics you can get in touch with me tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk stick with us we're talking about Dan Ashworth and multi-club ownership next voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by Martin Samuel, Johnny Northcroft and Gregor Robertson. Multi-club ownership, chaps. Martin Samuel, it's that time of the week. We're going to talk about your column from Tuesday on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Football should cherish Girona's rise, not find ways to derail it. Mm. Tell us more. Well, no, it was only that it seems there's this generation of sort of football administrators that, that hate football clubs because if, if they're badly run, they don't like it. And I understand that because I don't like it either. But if they're well run, they're sort of trying to find reasons, you know, to stop them being well run as well. So Girona is a really well run football club. Um, it's it's got a history of nothing, you know. Um, they're 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 second to fifth tier team for for almost all of their existence. They came up once before. They went down two seasons later. Now they've come up, 
And last weekend they played a match against Real Madrid that many people were talking about as a title decider. That, that for it to even be considered that is is a miracle at Girona, given the size of the club. They got a, a, a capacity of fourteen thousand. They're the smallest. Um, they're the smallest uh, ground in in La Liga. They've got a budget ceiling that's I think about seven hundred million pounds euros. Sorry, seven hundred million euros different to Real Madrid. And yet, until the weekend when they got beat four 0 which is what should happen, they were competing with Real Madrid. But they are part of the City Football Group, and so there's a lot of panic about multi club ownership and. I just think that if if a club is well run, as long as you've got certain guidelines, as long as you've got certain rules that that prevent obvious elements of corruption, obvious elements of corruption that we can all see, um, then I don't actually see the problem in multi-club ownership. And let's expand it beyond the City Football Group to Manchester United and Nice. Well, if any of us know how to run a football club, if any of us are doing good things at a football club, then surely it's positive to spread that knowledge around. And when people talk about, oh yes, but then they could get player, you know, they could get this player from Nice or that. Yeah, it's, if if it's Ineos's leadership and 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 their their nous at running a sports uh, club that enables Manchester United to have first refusal on a player from Nice or even vice versa, but it's most likely going the other way. Well. If it's all down to Sir Dave Brailsford, I don't see the problem of it. As long as you're not indulging in anything nefarious, as long as it's not plainly a money laundering exercise or whatever, I just think we should encourage good owners in football. So you don't find the issue, because pictured with your article is um, the player Savio, who is playing for Girona on loan from Troyes, mm. but is moving to City. City, yeah, and, it's and, all but, in but, the City football but, group, but, and it's all very actually, incestuous. But you, you, but you don't mind that slightly incestuous nature, but no. as long as it's all up front and you think that's well, fine? As long as Girona aren't going skint, as long as they're not sending anyone skint, as long as it's well run, as long as it, you know there's healthy competition. And people talk about, oh, supposing they drew each other in the Champions League group stage, and we can kill that in one second so you can't there can be no common ownership yep. in the group stage of the Champions League simple as that yep. knockout that's different yeah Johnny what do you think I, got, I don't have a I don't have an ethical problem with it I mean as Martin said as long as it's above board and there's no corruption that's that's fine I, I guess I, I don't I don't like it from the point of view of I wouldn't like it to involve my club um, on the two reasons one I I think it's there's something kind of corporate about it. it it's like uh, it's economies of scale, isn't it? It's mergers mm. and acquisitions. And I think we were talking about Harry Kane and his, his his kind of that German connection with even the biggest German clubs got a connection with its community. And and I do think that it dilutes the local character of clubs. Girona might be an exception. I don't understand enough about the culture of Girona Football Club probably because they are so small to know whether this improves things for fans or not but I, I think if you look at it generally um, it, it 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 does take away from uh, the distinct character that that clubs have got and it doesn't Girona's an outlier it doesn't tend to work for clubs I mean I was, I was looking through the City Football Group's a pretty mixed record Troyes you know where oh, yeah. Savio came from are mm. what, Division League 2 now and facing relegation to League Three or whatever the third tier in France is. Um, Lommel in Belgium have, 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 have is, is, is 
really hasn't gone particularly well there. Then again, you could, you know, um, Melbourne City and uh, have, have been pretty dominant. Yokohama have been pretty good. Mumbai, Mumbai, won the league. yeah, Mumbai won the league. Hasn't worked out so much for New York City. So, but then you think about, you know, I, th- I think it benefits the club at the top of the tree. I don't think it benefits the lower ones generally. Watford, I'm not sure if being part of the Udinese Pozzo project it was temporal, has, has worked it? for that, that, The thing with the Udinese mm. and, and Watford thing at the start, it was all very temporary. Mm. Clubs, uh, players were just being loaned between them and, and didn't, yeah. wa- didn't Watford get rid of their academy system at one stage and things. Yeah. So that sort of stuff I don't see as yeah. positive. Mm. That sort of stuff I, I see as you know, yeah. running the club with someone else's stock. Running the business with someone else's stock, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I was going to say as well. I, I went over to Leuven when Nigel Pearson was there, and Leuven is Leicester's feeder club. And I mean, I'm, I'm really not sure what they were getting out of it as a as a mm. football club. Because um, there you said you know, feeder club as well. It immediately well, that's changes the, that's the kind I mean. of dynamic. Of it probably was benefiting Leicester mm. because they were able to send out. I think George. Um, uh, oh. Can't remember the name. The striker, um, Hurst. 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 Mm. George Hurst was out there, and a few sort of lower down Leicester players, and they were able to farm players out. But it wasn't really benefiting Leuven. Um, I, I mean, Forest fans. I'm not sure if I think you know a lot of the acquisition of all the the, the players. I think partly comes from them being bought for the whole group. You know, the Olympiacos group. So. <laughs> As I say, it, 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 it's certainly working in Girona. I've got no problem with Girona challenging Real Madrid. They've got a brilliant coach, incredible coach, and they've produced some really good players. I just wouldn't want it to happen to my club because I think the Gironas are the exceptions and that in general it hasn't worked for, for, for teams. Yeah, for me it's the, the kind of hierarchical thing of it as well and and the thing that it's easy for us to sit because all of these groups, when there's a Premier League club in it, they're likely to be at the top of the tree, almost certain to be at the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. If you look at Belgium, for example, last season, eight of the 18 teams in the top league were owned by overseas owners. Four were part of groups aligned to English clubs. Another four were owned by groups from Qatar, Japan, Turkey and the, the United States. And Belgium's one that everyone goes for because they've got really easy uh, rules about getting non-EU players over and and you know building up a you know like work work permits work yeah, yeah 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 well they've had tax clubs, laws it's like they? really mm. that's why everyone wants a Belgian club and there's been a lot of pushback there because mm. as Johnny said they're like they're still like tied to a community another the the one the one English club that I've had some experience with and visited several times and and who are not at the top of the tree they're not necessarily at the bottom either is is Barnsley and. Barnsley have had some real peaks and troughs. They're owned by Pacific Media Group. Uh, I think own about eight clubs. And when Barnsley were promoted, one year when Barnsley, Barnsley are always going between the first uh, League One and Championship, but one year they were promoted and they kind of sold all their best players. Uh, but that's part of the player trading model that is mm. their sort of mm. raison d'etre. And so, but fans were like, hang on a minute, we're just, mm. you know, we're just being promoted with, and, you sold our best players and signed a bunch of 19, 20 year olds and it was a disaster. Mm. Um, but, and Barnsley is a place as well, you have to say that like this club has not only mm. got deep roots but it's like, you know, Yorkshire, former mining town, there's mm. a big identity there. And they came in and said, we we recognise the identity of the area, we want to play high pressing football and stuff. And they're like, we're not really bothered about the high pressing bit, we just want to see you try hard and quite like to, you know, 
win from time to time. But there were, and because and again the turnover of players and stuff, there has been even when they've had the periods of success, like in the championship, you remember them staying up dramatically on the final day one season. There's just always been a bit of unease saying we're part of this group. That means we're not we've kind of lost a little bit of something. So that's that's it's always dependent on the club. And Girona is a, was a good example. It mm. seems like again without knowing everything about Girona, they were a, a club that were prob- probably ripe for for doing something with. Yeah. But a lot of the clubs are pushing back. Strasbourg, who yeah, Chelsea, who Chelsea, yeah. they, they told them in no uncertain terms, we do not want to be mm. part of your group, mm. and there's nothing can do about it. Mm. No, all I was going to say. Every single club is different. Every single model is different. What what I was aiming for in that piece is this idea where you just reject an idea out of hand. You know, it's right on multi club ownership. That's bad. You go. Know, it's not necessarily bad. In in all cases, there's certain things. If you know how to run a football club. It, it's quite good. I totally take the points about certain football clubs and about the loss of identity and all of that sort of stuff. With Girona, the problem you had with Girona is everyone supported Barcelona. It's mm. 99 mm. kilometres from Barcelona. Everyone supported Barcelona. Girona's got more identity almost now being part of the City Football Group and, and suddenly challenging Real Madrid and, and being up there and actually being ahead of Barcelona. Now you might see a kid in Girona who, who, who grows up supporting his local team rather than tacking towards Barcelona straight away. I, I take what you say about Barcelona, about Barnsley, for instance. But if there's no such thing as the perfect ownership model. There's no ownership model that works for everybody. So there will be some multi-club ownerships that aren't as successful as others. I'm just... I was more writing about just rejecting this idea out of hand and, and, and the way they're making it, the authorities are almost making it harder and harder to run a football club by saying, oh, we don't like it if it's badly run, but we don't like it if it's well mm. run either. We don't want you to be failures, but we don't want you to be too successful or <laughs> we don't want you not investing, but we don't want you investing too much. Mm. And it's like, just let people try and own a football club and put money into football and we'll see how it goes. And some of them will be better at it than others and some of the clubs will be a success mm. and some of the clubs won't be a success. But at least let people try to do things. I realise this is like screaming into the wind, but my my go go for it. My, go my, no, my, my other fans of that. In this <laughs> <part>. <laughs> it's just like this is you know when football when football club ownership is just purely an investment. This is like the absolute end point the of this. Of it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're like it's a portfolio, yeah. a portfolio mm. clubs, mm. and it's not really for the. You don't, it doesn't feel like it's just for the benefit of that club, that specific club. It's for the benefit of. The, the organisation do you not and think- then what, whatever their aims are in the first place if it's a city football group we know that there are aims beyond football so I, I, that also is just something that I, I feel quite but conflicted do, about but do you not think Gregor that we we almost spend too much time talking about who owns the football club as opposed to you know you've got this you know chant now sack the board everyone's for the sack the board sack the board at the risk of sounding like I'm prehistoric you went. 30, 40 years, you couldn't name the board, let alone sack the board. Mm. Who, who, knew, who knew who your board was? 
I, I, I couldn't tell you why. Growing up supporting <clears throat> West Ham, I couldn't have told you who the board was. Wouldn't know who owned the football well, club. The football club was the eleven guys in claret and blue shirts out there. That was the football club, not some bloke in a suit in a in a part of the ground you never got to visit. It's a funny thing because it's, it's one thing you can't you can't sack the owner. It's the only thing. Oh, you, you can't, can't sack. Just, you know, it's just so, a nonsensical chant anyway. Like uh, England till yeah. I die, and I'm, I'm, England after yeah. you die as well. You know, <laughs> William Shakespeare, stone dead, still English. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, that'd be funny. I've been in this position recently because I've been, you know, Aberdeen of our project has ended up with with Neil Warnock, and that might it's great fun, but it's not really the long term project we were, prom- we're promised. And you know, in the last year we've lost a, a, a sort of you know bus stop in Ayrshire, and and um, sorry, Darvel fans, nice place, <laughs> Darvel, but I'm still bitter about it. We've been ridiculous. With some ridiculously bad things have happened to Aberdeen, and yet we've got we've got an owner who. Is putting money and and it's like I'd love his money, but I just love him to make better decisions and um, but we can't get rid of him and uh, you, you just go around and in the side, but you're impotent as a fan if you don't like the ownership. It's the one thing that you you can't change. You can't change, and the Man United fans could tell you that. But we should also time- say so, sorry that Scotland is now recently not he's not immune to this. Hibs have been have been have been it's ratified that they're going to be the co- sorry they're going to be. Uh, there's going to be investment by Bill Foley, who owns mm. Bournemouth. Mm. Uh, I think Dundee have struck up a partnership with Burnley recently. Like these are these what's, are. Yeah. What's, what's interesting to me listening to you all is that I kind of sitting here listening almost as a fan is the, the potential naivety that we all have around this because you, you know you guys are listing all these wonderful examples and I think maybe some listeners might be going bloody hell it's rife it's not just you know Manchester yeah. City and Girona it's no, everywhere well, a, the, last season well, there was 180 clubs worldwide yeah. Yeah. and a, about a decade ago it was 40 yeah. mm. so this is a this is the growth industry D- Daniel yeah. Levy was ahead of it you remember him owning yeah. a bit of Rangers a bit yeah. of um, Vita Sarnum was it or no? it, was, it, was, it, was, yeah. it was a Dutch club um, and and his he had this multi club ownership idea twenty five years ago. It didn't go off the ground, and then he ended up with with Spurs. That's where he refocused his investment. His original entry into football was multi club ownership. The, the, Fine Soriano at, at Manchester City. Yeah, that that was the original um, idea behind the City Football Group. Was 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 this thought of you go to these places, you go to Melbourne, you play a match, you sell a few shirts. Get on a plane, come home, and you think, "Oh, we've left a, we've left a real solid footprint in uh, in Melbourne here in Australia." Mm. When all you've actually left is about ten replica shirts. That's the only, and and the way he looked at it was, no, what you do is you go there, and you open a football club. You yeah. start a football club. The the football club wears the same colours as your other as your other football team, and you you know that's what you are. And instead of leaving a footprint that's a club shop in the high street that closes down the first time there's a recession, you actually leave a a proper footprint so that if you are a football fan in America, you support New York City and... Manchester City is 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 you know is your team in the Premier League and you know you've got these different teams and they they don't all play in the same colours because remember berating someone at Man City when they bought Palermo and said you're not going to you're not going to change one of the greatest football strips no. in the world please, are you you know no. and I you know and they I got a solemn promise that Palermo would still look like Palermo and would still play in pink shirts but um, but the you know, so this is what what I'm saying about the, there's no sort of golden type of football ownership. 
when everyone was run by the local pork butcher, there were still clubs that were well run and there were still clubs where the pork butcher didn't know what he was doing and, and, and tanked the club and it got relegated and, and every... So that's all I mean is there's some ownership, multi-club ownership models that will be positive. And the idea of legislating something out of existence, if you've got somebody who wants to put money into football, I, I just think try to find ways to facilitate it within, obviously, legal boundaries. You know, the, we, we all know what the complications could be. So you pass rules to stop that. But you don't discourage people from investing in football. That's that. That's my, you know, it's one of my, you know, I bang on about it all mm. the time about not discouraging people from investing in football because football needs money. Like lots of the fascinating debates to be that competitive. we have on this podcast, I'm sure it's one we will have again. That noise you might have heard in the background was Johnny Northcroft sneaking out to make a phone call that he needs to make, probably safe in the knowledge that he ensured it was the first time that Neil Warnock and William Shakespeare had ever been mentioned. Basically, <laughs> in the same breath, you get everything on this podcast. Speaking <laughs> about football management, football ownership uh, and club models, we're going to finish with Manchester United and the news stories about Dan Ashworth potentially joining them from his role as sporting director at Newcastle United. Martin, is this... I'm slightly fascinated by this in the kind of Ineos football decision-making mm-hmm. process in terms of some of the moves they've made. Of course, Omar Barado moving from Manchester City to Manchester United. Mm. They're now looking at that kind of sporting director role. These are good decisions, aren't they? Potentially, in terms of not necessarily going looking at the playing squad, maybe not even looking at Eric Ten Hag, looking at positions within a modern football club that Manchester United don't have and they, they need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in that respect, it's very good, yeah. I mean, it used to be that, oh, you build a team from the back and it used to be footballers that you talked about and you talked about getting the defence right and stuff, whereas now everyone goes in they want to get the recruitment right and that's, yeah. the, that's the first thing you do before you even start thinking about players. You find the, the person who's going to get the players. Dan Ashworth is, is very, very good at his job. Um... <laughs> The way I see it, it's, you know, people bang on about organic growth and there must be organic growth in football. It is very hard to grow organically if a, a small um, group of clubs keep nicking every single bit of talent that you've got. And that's what's happened to Newcastle. There. Newcastle are trying to grow. They keep saying, oh, within profit and sustainability rules or whatever. And then just as they're, you know, right, we, you know, we've done everything. We, You know, someone comes in and takes their director of football. Brighton too. Brighton, yeah, <laughs> but but Newcastle aren't passing voting for rules that stop Brighton doing um, what they want to do, whereas everyone else are passing rules that are stopping Newcastle spending as much money as they like to spend and then taking their uh, director of football as well. Newcastle didn't do that to Brighton. That's what I think is unfair. Right. So, but is, is Manchester United not doing this? kind of similar to what you were saying before about multi-club ownership it's just a, it's just a reality of running a football club oh well. it's a reality you know, it's of, not... look the bigger clubs have always um, preyed on little clubs yeah. for, for talent for players for everything but there haven't been the rules in place that stop the little clubs ambitions Gregor, what do you think about that idea of, you know, I was slightly maybe mischievously suggesting there's a bit of a PR game here with Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos with these moves that they're making in that for so long it was talked about Manchester United's structures not being right, not having the building blocks that Martin's kind of alluding to there, as well as these being good moves for, you know, talented people who are good at their jobs. It looks good, doesn't it, that these are the first moves they're making? Absolutely, yeah. Um, 
But fundamentally, you know, people said that for for the last decade because it was true. It's like <laughs> you know, Ed Woodward, who never worked in football really before, apart from as an accountant or you know an executive. Mm. He he was suddenly had you know far too much influence over the football side, and then people you know even people like John Morton and Richard Arnold and there's no real like bank of evidence that to oh. suggest that they would be, they were good appointments. They were just there mm. and promoted, and I'm sure they're capable people, but they're now hiring someone who you know who is one of the best in in uh, in the country at, at this this job which is to kind of oversee there's a really good line in Martin Hardy's piece to say and he's kind of sees himself at the center of a wheel and he has to align all the spokes it's just like overseeing everything the scouting the yeah employing the right you know there's another little nugget I, I noticed where he I think at Brighton instead of People scouting areas of of like areas of the world, they scouted a position, so they became experts mm. everywhere in the world about that position and their values and you know you know where to gauge them in in a sort of and creating a list about about say signing a right back or whatever, um, and I think and Brighton have kept that since he's left and and like there's just little little things that he's implemented that seem to be you know he's one of he's one of one of one of the people in the last decade or so who just have ushered in a, a far greater degree of intelligence in the way clubs mm. are run. Yeah, he's absolutely. done that. At, he's done that at West Brom. He did it at the FA. He did it at Brighton. And Manchester United have been crying out for this. And so that's why, yes, it'll be good PR, but there's good PR for a reason. Mm. And, and Manchester United were the last of the old-fashioned football clubs mm. because they did have... People say, oh, Manchester United have never had a director of football. They did have a director of football. Absolutely, they do. His name is Sir Alex Ferguson. And he directed recruitment and he directed football and he directed absolutely everything at that club. Whilst around them, everyone was moving towards a, a much more European model where there was uh, they kept the recruitment and they kept the director of football aspect separate to the manager. Uh, it's still not quite the European uh, you know, idea that, that, that we think it is. I mean, Jurgen Klopp said... Um, you know that people in Germany think that manager is just what uh, English uh, people call coach mm. they just think the two terms are in, uh, interchangeable and if you're manager of Liverpool it's no different to being coach of Bayern Munich or coach of Borussia Dortmund and he said you know they don't understand that 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 manager in, in England is a completely different job because you're in charge of so much. So even though Liverpool had a recru- have a recruitment department and a very good one, Klopp still felt personally responsible for rebuilding the midfield, um, rebuilding parts of the forward line, um, and so it. You know what Manchester United have lacked in the last ten, twelve years is Alex Ferguson, because mm. Alex Ferguson did the job they've now appointed Dan Ashworth to do. He also did the job that they've got Ten Hag to do. So that's that's why he was such a remarkable figure because he actually did the job of about two or three people or in Chelsea's case, about 15. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, do you think that idea of a manager then, talking about Klopp and also for Sir Alex Ferguson, is that on the slide completely, do you think? Is Pep Guardiola the last manager in terms of overseeing and taking responsibility for those things off the pitch as well as on it, like you just described? Well, they've got a very good recruitment department. 
um, as well, Manchester City. And they've got a very good, you know, from Brian Marwood. And the, the influence of Brian Marwood there cannot be understated. You know, in the in the old days, mm. in building the modern Manchester City, Brian Marwood was sensational. Um, and going right the way through down to Chicky Bagiristan. Um, but yeah, those guys are very influential guys like Guardiola. The recruitment at Manchester City, without a shadow of a doubt, went stratospheric when Guardiola turned up. Mm. I mean, you know, before that Pellegrini, you know, they were working towards, you know, I mean, Pellegrini was a three-year placeholder. It was quite remarkable what Manchester City did, really. Um, but when Pep turned up, it just went it went into another level. So you get these guys, these you know superb uh, elite quality managers like Klopp, like Guardiola, that can make a difference. But there was nobody like Ferguson. Hmm. Nobody like Ferguson in the modern era. There's another good line in Martin Hardy's piece, I think, speaking to Tony Mowbray, who was saying that he he could also speak to him on a level, like as, as as the head as the manager. As in speak to Ash, speak to Ashworth. Yes, because yeah. he was although he didn't make it as a player, he was a he was in Nor- I think Norwich City's youth team till he was mm. about seventeen, mm-hmm. eighteen. He was a coach at Peterborough, Cambridge, West Brom, became academy director, got a UEFA Pro license. That was his pathway until uh, I think it was Peace at, at, at West Brom recognised something in him mm. and gave him this job. I think mm. technical director at the time. Um, so he, he knows football too, and I know it sounds like an old football man thing to say, but you're allowed, I, mate. I you think, played the game. You I can think, say it. No, no, I'm not saying <laughs> it. It's really Tony Mowbray was saying I could speak to him as a football person. Right. He was good as that kind of conduit between me and the own and the owner, who he said in the piece I found difficult to deal with. Mm. That's a, that's slightly old fashioned, but it is, it is, it, it does kind of show that he he can kind of fit into very, very very different circles executive circles the football you can have a discussion about coaching about he, he helped redesign the coaching syllabus for, for England and the mm. old EPPP and the, um, you know helped with St George's Park's kind and of creation and his design and, and he's helped with training ground design he oversees everything that's what Man United mm. have lacked vision mm. and now they have someone who has proven that he's had vision in the past Technical directors, multi-club ownerships, identity off the pitch, Bavaria, mouse traps. We've covered it all on today's <laughs> podcast. We really are the football people. We hope you've enjoyed it. Martin Samuel, Johnny Northcroft and Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you too for listening. We'll be back on Monday, probably talking about a little bit more action on the pitch. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.